life is all about relationships. The older I get, the more I try to complicate things. I think we even have a slide up for this because it's so important. It has to be the starting point for what we're going to talk about over the next month. Life is all about relationships. It is not about religion. It is not about being a good person. It is not about going to church more. It is not about swearing less. It is not about succeeding. Life is about relationships. Ultimately, it's about our relationship with God, this sort of vertical relationship where I come to know or you come to know God. And if that relationship is not there, then by default, because we're born worshiping, what we tend to do is if we don't have this, we replace this relationship with God with a relationship with some other person or some other thing that kind of becomes an ultimate thing, a created thing becoming an ultimate thing. So we're made for this relationship vertically. We're also made for horizontal relationships with one another. And I think that what we tend to do, if we're not careful, is um, we can go so fast in life that we don't take stock of them, and they can get sloppy and crazy. Uh, My mom is the worst gardener ever. Like, there's never been a plant she couldn't kill, but there's never been a weed that she couldn't let thrive. And, uh, and so you go to her house, and she's got this flower garden that's been there 20 years, and there'll be like six dead flowers and a bunch of weeds. And if we're not careful, our, our horizontal relationships will even do that. They'll just kind of become overrun with weeds and un- unimportant peripheral stuff. And then the real life, the real relationships, the good stuff can get choked out. So life, as we begin this series, is all about relationships. Now, over the next, I think I counted it down this morning, there's 27 days left in this month. And then 25 days to Christmas. So over the next 50 or so days, a lot of us are going to do holiday things. Uh, we're going to shop. How many of you have already made a dent in your holiday shopping? Not all right, a couple of you. Yeah, good. Good for you. Uh, we're going to decorate. In our house, uh, we decorate a lot. Uh, I think we have, the boys both have their own Christmas tree. And we have to, for the first time in like 10 years, we're buying a new tree this year. We've had a fake one that we put out the pasture last year. So we're going to decorate. We're going to, a lot of us are going to work or we're going to exercise. We're going to eat to try to end the year strong. You know, we want to end the year uh, doing well, however we would define that. We're going to prep food. A lot of us are going to make uh, really good food. This is the time of year when the one time of year when my wife will make a green bean casserole. Uh, which is a southern thing where you take a vegetable and you ruin it by putting butter and Ritz crackers and cream of mushroom soup in it, and it's delicious, and, uh, and it will be served in heaven. And uh, so we eat food that we no- normally wouldn't eat. I love this time of year because I love the flavor of pumpkin, and I love the flavor of gingerbread, and these are the only times of year where it seems to be socially acceptable to eat those. We're going to travel a lot. Some of you will get stuck in traffic. Alicia went over last night to... Uh, uh, over where Costco is and that Target right over there. I don't even know what you call that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should helicopter into there or not go at all. She learned her lesson. It will only get worse over the next 50, over the next 50 days. And then, um, and then we're going to spend a lot of time with family and friends, hopefully. It may be that you'll spend time with family. It may be that you'll spend time with friends. It may be that you'll spend even more time here with one another uh, than you normally would. And so we're doing this series, My Crazy Family. The The holidays are a special time of year where we spend time with family who end up making us roll our eyes and who make us cringe and who make us laugh out loud. I had an Uncle Frank, God rest his soul, he died about eight years ago, and he would sit at the family dinner table, didn't matter the holiday, and he would sort of lean back in the chair like like he was on a a rodeo horse, and he would grab the, the, the cloth napkin 
and start coughing into it until he coughed something out. And then he would kind of look at the napkin. It was like, man, I'm trying to enjoy our Christmas dinner here, and you are coughing into this napkin. And it was just so gross. Every, every holiday, didn't matter, Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Uncle Frank was going to hawk something into a napkin, or we hadn't had Christmas or holiday dinner. And if, so if you don't have a family member like my Uncle Frank or somebody who makes you roll your eyes like, or cringe or do something, then the odds are you're probably the one that they're doing that about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I am that. My granddad would always sit in the corner when we were kids. He would always sit in the corner while at, at Christmas or at Easter while everybody's unwrapping gifts or spending time. And I never understood why he did that. It was because, A... He wanted to be in a safe zone in case things went down. He wanted to have his eyes on everything. And B, I just think he was taking in how wacko our family was. Like, it was, we were nutty. And I think he was just sitting there watching it all and seeing, like, rolling his eyes, laughing, cringing. And, uh, and that'll be our holidays. That's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Like, there we go. That's what we're going toward. There's a double intent in this series. It's my crazy family. And the other part is that the church is family. God could have described the church as anything he wanted, a not-for-profit, an organization, an institution. A lot of my friends will say the church is just a business. It's big business. It's all about money. But the two metaphors that the Bible uses for church are the body and a family. The body where Jesus is the head and a family where God is the father and Jesus is our brother. So this series, hopefully, My Crazy Family, is going to prep us to deal with our actual biological families, but also to relate to one another uh, really well. Now, I need this, ser- this sermon today. Today's sermon's about learning to listen. I don't know how many of you struggle with listening. I do. Uh, my mind wanders. I can interrupt more than I care to admit. Uh, we were talking the other day with a friend of ours, and I think she's really smart. And when she's talking, I feel like I have to talk so that I can seem really smart. And she was sharing something, and I interrupted her. And it was so fast, it happened in a moment, but three things happened. One, she was talking. Two, I interrupted. She got this look on her face, and God's Spirit grabbed me by the heart. Has this ever happened to you where God grabs you and does this number, right? God's Spirit grabbed me and goes, you interrupted her. You stole some dignity from her. You were wrong. I don't like to listen. I get going so fast that I forget to listen, and... uh, But Jesus was a great listener. Like, think about Jesus. Do you think Jesus, I was thinking about this week, do you think Jesus interrupted people? I I could never see him interrupting anyone. The the big idea today, if you are going to put a note in your phone or anything, is this. I think we have a slide for this. Never mistake talking for conversation. Never mistake talking for conversation. Like, those are two completely different things. And I have a long way to go. Um. How about you? Like, are you a good listener? Are you able to track? Some of you are shaking your head no. So let's look at the the book of James. We're going to read one verse today. Uh, Pretty simple idea. If you've got the paper Bible, it's 1113 or 586. If you're on your phones or a regular Bible, James 1, verse 19, says this. James is Jesus' half-brother, by the way. After Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, his parents began to have their own children. Uh, Joseph and, and Mary had children. One of them was James. Uh, he's the half-brother of Jesus because they had the same mom and a different dad. And then another one, Jude or Judas, not the one who betrayed him, but Jude, the book of Jude. So it goes James. Uh, how does it go? First and second Peter, first and second, third John. 
And then Jude is another one of Jesus' brothers. And so he's got these brothers who wrote books of the New Testament after having thought he was crazy until the resurrection. And so James is writing to a very Jewish audience of Christians. And he says this in verse 19 of chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear or quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's just repeat those really quickly together. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Three very practical pieces of advice, and we're just going to jump off from there today. We tend to do the opposite. I tend to be slow to listen. Have you ever started talking to somebody and they're 30 seconds in and you realize, I haven't heard a word of what they just said? Has that ever happened with Coach Coleman? Is he ever talking and you're like, 30 seconds in, you're like, oh man, he's giving me instruction right now. I probably should be listening to that. We won't tell him he's not here. We get to talk about him because he's not at church today and you guys are, right? We tend to be slow to listen, quick to speak. And because we're quick to speak, We then become quick to anger because our emotions get ratcheted up and up and up. Sometimes Natalie's playing this app right now uh, where she designs rooms on her phone. She does it a lot, doesn't she? And I'll be talking to her sometimes, and she's not really listening, but then she'll sort of exit out of the wormhole of this game, and then she'll start talking to me, and I start amping up. And now, like, we're talking in a raised tone, frustrated, because we were slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger. And James tells us to do the opposite. Be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen. We fear silence. We fear silence. One time at our last church in South Carolina, the number, the number of seconds that it takes for Americans to be uncomfortable with silence is stunning. It's like less than 15 seconds. And we start breaking out in hives, right? Uh, other cultures are great with silence. And we have friends from other cultures who, will, who have no problem sitting in silence. Our last church, people couldn't do it. And one morning, I sat there and set a timer on my phone for one minute. And we sat there for one minute in silence. And you could see people melting down. Like, they were grabbing their phones looking for other churches. So they would never have to come back into that silent environment ever again. Like, we fear silence. And I think we fear it, culturally we fear it for three reasons. One, we're afraid it says we're not smart. If I don't say anything, if, you're ta- if Carson's talking and I'm just listening and processing and not in a hurry to speak, there's a part of, us that, there's a part of me that fears, oh, he's going to think I'm dumb. I don't have anything to say. A second fear, reason that we don't like silence in conversations is we're afraid it's going to say we're not confident. Have you ever hung out with someone who kind of intimidated you, you thought they were smarter than you or more together, and you just felt like, man, I've got to say something so it won't seem like I'm being intimidated in this moment. And a third reason I think we fear silence, or culturally we fear silence, is because it says we're not interested. If Michaela's talking and I'm not saying anything, is she going to be judging me while she's talking, thinking, he's not listening to anything, he's not interested in this conversation, he finds me boring, and so then... I will tend to jump in and talk. So it's like, I want to let you know you're important or whatever. Those are not good reasons to be talking. There are signs in our lives that silence is needed. I'm going to give you a few of them. These are, this is the point of a sermon. We'll move these uh, through these pretty fast. It comes from a book by a lady named Susan Scott called Fierce Conversations. It's a really great book. Seven uh, signs that she's given that silence is needed. One, if you're interrupting by talking over someone, 
like if you're if you're constantly talking over someone, like I did to Becky that day, you need more silence in your life. You need more silence in your life. I need much more silence. That conversation with our friend Becky was a reminder. I was interrupting. I need more silence in my life. One of my favorite dad jokes of all time is that one. Have you heard it? It's like, knock, knock, who's there? Interrupting cow, interrupting cow, moo. Like, that tends to be how our life has the worst joke ever, isn't it? Uh, I love that one. I love dad jokes. Like, we tend to be interrupting cows, man. And if we are talking over someone and they can't even finish a sentence, we need more silence in our life and in our relationships. If we're working on a response while another person is talking, they're talking, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. I need more, more silence in my life. If I'm responding quickly with little or no thought, the other night in small group, uh, Carson was telling me about a really cool thing that happened at their work this week. And there was a part of me, honestly, that wanted to respond really fast. And I felt like, this is what God, I felt like impressed in my heart. If you're going to get up and talk Sunday about listening, you need to shut up right now and listen to one of your church members who's your dear friend. And so I just let myself relax and sat just like he's sitting right now and was like, I just wanted to hear about what he was excited about. And then I asked a question. I violated the principle, and he was like, I'm going to come back to that, which was a good reminder that I just needed to listen and not try to move forward in the conversation. We all do this, right? We respond so quick with no thought. That's pretty good. What's that? Yeah, you did. Absolutely. Number four, she says, we need, we attempt to be, we need more silence if we're attempting to be clever, smart, impressive, or charming rather than sincere. Five, we need more silence if we're giving advice before full understanding. Has your wife ever looked at you, or it's usually the wife who does this to the husband, and said, I don't need you to solve me right now, I just need you to hear me. Has Annie ever done that to you? Yeah, Natalie's done that to me. I don't need you to fix my problem, I just need you to hear me right now. Man, that is... If we do that, if we're trying to fix before we even understand or giving empathy, then we need to become better listeners or we're the crazy family member, right? Talking in circles, monopolizing the airspace. In a church, especially when we do small groups, we've got to be really careful as a family not to monopolize the airspace. It's so hard for the small group leader to become a point guard who can move the move the conversation around the room and not let the introverts not say anything all night and the extroverts talk a lot. I'm an extrovert. There have been times after group when I've apologized and said, boy, I talked too much tonight. I'm really sorry. We can't monopolize the airspace. If we're doing that, then we need more silence in our life. And then two that I've um, added into her list uh, would be if we're deep in conversation and not retaining what we're hearing, we need more silence. If our minds are so fast that we're not catching what's being said, we need more silence. And if we're thinking of the next meeting, the next encounter, the next social media post, we need more silence in our life. Have you ever been talking with someone and they said something or you said someone or it was such a good moment you wanted to reach for your phone and get it on social media? Like, or how am I going to say that in 140 characters or less? Like, that's the world we live in right now. And if we are doing that, we need more silence. So I want to share with you five traits of uh, biblical listening today, all right? I think we've got slides for all of these. Number one, uh, listening is a discipline, not a gift. Listening is a discipline, not a gift. James said, everyone, everyone, every person should be quick 
to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Everybody. See, if it were a gift that God expected of us, then only some people would do it because not everybody always gets the same gifts from God. Right? But because it says everybody should do it, it's something we all need to learn to do if we're Christians. It's expected of all of us. And he says, everyone, and in another translation it says, should be. Here it says, let everyone be quick to. In other words, this is not like optional. We need to work toward this. It doesn't mean should like maybe. It means should like you need to get on it. We need to become better listening listeners. Listening is part of discipleship. Part of that is not just hearing. It's my niece Sarah's here from Georgia. It's, I'm glad you're here, not with Natalie and kids, right? When I'm talking with Sarah, I need to be really careful to make eye contact as she's talking, not creepy eye contact. Have you ever talked to someone who makes creepy eye contact? I'm not talking about creepy eye contact. We're making eye contact. We need to square our bodies and shoulders up toward the person who's talking. We need to be active listeners. If, if we can, we need to lean in. Uh, we need to put the phone down. I want, an, I want a, um, an Apple Watch real bad right now. You don't know if you ever get those sort of consumer therapy cravings where you're like, I need that technology. I need that technology. I want one of those. And Natalie goes, I don't think you need that. And I'm like, well, why not? She goes, nobody needs that much access to you all the time. You would be perpetually distracted. And so there's times, there's a friend of mine who's a pastor in town. I hate getting together with him for coffee. Because half the time we're talking, he's looking at who's texting him. Now, I don't want that. When, if we're going to listen to someone, and, and listening is a, as a discipline, not a gift, we've got to put that stuff. There are meetings where I take my phone, I just have to set it down and put it on silent so I'm not distracted. Listening is a discipline, not a gift. I love this quote. I read it this week. Wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be the first virtue. Wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be the first virtue. Second trait of listening. Listening, Mark, will you let them in? I guess they don't see the footprints. Thank you. Listening uh, exhibits meekness. Listening exhibits meekness, abstaining from self-asserting. The most famous horse in human history is not secretariat. The most famous horse in human history is a horse named Bucephalus. Does anybody know who Bucephalus is? Bucephalus was the horse of Alexander the Great. And he rode Bucephalus and as he conquered the ancient Near East uh, 400 years before Jesus, right? And Bucephalus was the strongest, most untamable horse that ever lived. No one could tame this horse. And Alexander figured out a way as a young man to tame this horse. He realized that Bucephalus, who was incredibly strong, was actually afraid, first of all, of his shadow. And so he positioned Bucephalus in a different way. And no one could train this horse. And Alexander came up to this horse and could train it and slow it down and then ride it and go into, ride it into battle and conquer some of the strongest armies of the ancient world. What Alexander was able to do with Bucephalus, Bucephalus was so strong and no one should have been able to tame him and no one should have been able to ride him. But Alexander was able to get Bucephalus to relinquish his strength for a moment to be ridden and tamed. And that's meekness. The Greek word meekness actually comes from the idea of of Bucephalus surrendering his power 
to let Alexander ride him into battle. When we listen, we are exhibiting meekness. It's not that we couldn't be busy, it's that we choose not to be busy. It's not that we it's not that we have to hear what someone's saying, it's that we choose to hear what someone's saying. We're not asserting ourselves. And the truth is in that, if I'm talking to Carla and I'm exhibiting meekness or she's exhibiting meekness by hearing me, listening to me, it's not that she's just not self-asserting toward me and being meek toward me. She's actually doing that toward Jesus. When we choose as Christians to listen to someone else and surrender the, the need to, to be heard and to dominate the conversation, when we do that, we're actually surrendering to Jesus and not just to the other person. We're yielding to Christ and to another by not self-asserting. The third trait of listening, listening affirms people's God-given dignity. It affirms people's God-given dignity. I was uh, reading an article, uh, this or a book this week, that was talking about euthanasia, or excuse me, not euthanasia, about infanticide in China and in India, and how um, an entire generation of girls has been wiped out in China and in India because a female is not as desirable as a male, and the government has placed quotas on the numbers of children you can have. And so, so many little girls in India and China have been disposed of over the last uh, 20 years. It's a, it's tragedy. Because it denies something that is fundamentally written into the universe and that God has talked about. And that's that every person has dignity, no matter how old they are, no matter how uh, how smart they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what their sexual orientation is, no matter what their religion is, no matter the country that they come from, no matter their skin color, the language they speak, even no matter their usefulness to society because of disabilities, everyone has dignity. There's not a person, I remember being in high school and walking down the halls and you can sort of mentally rank people about how cool they are, helpful they are, or useful they are to, to us. We don't have the right to do that as followers of Jesus because people are made in God's image. King David, a thousand years before Jesus wrote a worship song to God, and in it he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at the people around you. They are fearfully and wonderfully made, and they have dignity. And when we choose to listen to them, and not just hear them, but listen to them, we affirm their God-given dignity. People aren't projects. People aren't causes. People uh, aren't anything other than someone fearfully and wonderfully made, and someone for whom God sent his son to die. I think about the story in the New Testament where it's in John 8, where Jesus, a woman is caught in adultery, right? And they bring her uh, before Jesus. It's early in the morning. They bring her before Jesus. And there's this woman, and it says she's basically naked, caught in the act of adultery. She might have at best a sheet over her. And they bring her, they throw her before Jesus, and they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? 
It's an easy slam dunk question for Jesus. Obviously, he knows the answer. But what does the Bible say he does? It says he, he gets down and he just begins to write in the sand. And he doesn't say anything. And in that moment, he's affirming her dignity by stealing the power away from the people who want to have her murdered. He's just writing. It says he just looks up and he says, let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. They're all standing there angry, holding their rocks. One by one, starting with the oldest ones, they begin to drop their rocks and they walk off. And then Jesus now is just maybe standing there with a few people around, it's just him and the woman. He's there on this easy. He says, who is here to condemn you, woman? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, and I don't condemn you either. Now go and leave your life of sin. In that moment where all of her dignity had been taken, here she is naked, embarrassed, humiliated, caught in her worst moment, and, and brought to the point of being murdered. Jesus doesn't condemn her, and he doesn't even talk. And just sitting there quietly, and letting the moment hang and letting these men walk away one by one, he affirms her dignity. Your crazy aunt, your crazy uncle at the holidays who just is just talking out of their craziness and they've just, like my Uncle Frank, finished hocking a loogie into a napkin and they're just going on and on. You just want to watch the Hallmark Christmas movie that's on and eat your gingerbread cookies and be left alone and he keeps going on and on or she keeps going on and on. When you listen, you are giving him or her some dignity that God alone had created them to have that that is implied in Jesus' death for them. And then the last, or excuse me, the fourth one, listening helps us understand and empathize. Listening helps us understand and empathize. Rarely will the person uh, start with the most important part. When someone's talking, they rarely start with the most important part. You ever notice that? Sometimes I just want man, cut to the chase. What are you talking about? My boys, like Noah is the master communicator. Like he will start in building the bridge so that you, so he gets your heart. And then he'll just go, 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 go. And then at the end, he will work to the part where he actually wants something, right? Like it was all an attempt to get here. This was the caboose. I had to endure the train to get to the caboose of what he really wanted, right? Listening helps us understand and empathize while someone is going, like we're getting train car, train car, train car, train car, train car. If we're listening, we're building empathy. We're building empathy. We're understanding where they're coming from. And sometimes we may even have to mine it out. If we're listening like Jesus, sometimes we're going to have to mine out what is really going on. We're going to have to hear the whole train of thought to get to the caboose, and we're even going to have to hear what isn't said. I remember once upon a time, uh, I was, Nat and I were having coffee with this woman, and she was expressing hurt in her life and, uh, and hurt toward the church, and at the, at the root of it, what she was expressing was her hurt toward God. And uh, some of you maybe even have heard this story. I've shared it a couple of times. It's such a powerful moment. And she's just going and going and going, 15 minutes, expressing all this stuff. And something in me in that moment, just hearing what she was saying and not saying, knew that when she was a kid, she'd been molested by somebody who was religious. And finally, we looked at her, and I said, 
tell me about when you were molested as a kid. And she said, who told you that? I said, nobody told me that. And I don't know how, I, I, I don't know how, how in that moment I knew that it happened. She started crying and she began to tell us that it happened to her twice by two different people. And it wrecked her relationship with God. And honestly, we, weren't, we were talking about her hurt toward the church. And had I not been listening that moment by God's grace, and my wife is a really good listener, and so sometimes we'll be talking, she'll just put her, somebody will be talking, and she'll put her hand on my knee to say, hey, shut up right now, like, don't say anything dumb-dumb. This person's getting somewhere. Be empathetic. Understand what's going on, right? Had we not gotten all the way through the end of her train of thought, and even past the caboose to what she wasn't even saying, I don't know that we would have gotten to that place and seen God work in her life. Listening helps us understand and empathize. Even with what is not being said, we'll begin to hear. Listening is better than talking. Listening is better than talking. Questions to understand are better than quick conclusions, and affirmations are better than answers. I love Parks and Rec. There's a great episode, I think it's in season six of Parks and Rec, where Chris Traeger is constantly giving uh, Ann Perkins advice about her pregnancy. She's pregnant, she's uncomfortable, it's not good, and he, keeps, he, he can come up with a solution for everything. Like he gets this sort of stretch mark butter and all this stuff, and, and he's solving every issue she has, and she just gets so angry at him in that moment. And he's talking with his friends, and, they're, and they're, he says, I can't understand why she's mad. I've solved every problem she has, and, and they say something so good. Sometimes... The other person just needs you to say, that sucks. And so she's fussing a couple days later. And at the end of it, he just puts his arm around her and says, that sucks. I'm really sorry. And she, I think if I remember right, she lays her head on his shoulder or something like that. And she finally feels understood. Man, listening helps build empathy and helps us understand to come alongside someone And then fifth, and I think most powerfully, listening reflects our relationship with God. Listening to others reflects our relationship with God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, He who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. That's powerful. He who can no longer listen to his brother will soon no longer be listening to God either. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. What does listening have to do with the gospel? In other words, how do we keep this from just, hey, uh, Rochelle, when you go home, now you be a better listener. Like, at the end of the day, I'm not here to give you good practical life advice. We need to hear how the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God loves sinners and saves sinners and has relationship with us, we need to hear how that affects our life and how we live out our faith instead of just being moral people who feel good about ourselves because we're good and not bad. A couple things about listening in the gospel. One, God listens to us, and that is a grace undeserved. If you're running home in your car today and you just start talking to God quietly in the silence of your heart, God, hey, it's me. Good to talk with you. I'm here. He is listening to you. Whether you feel like it or not, he's listening to you. And that is a grace that you and I do not deserve. A holy God ought not to listen to imperfect people. But he does. That is grace. Also, God speaks to us. 
And that is grace undeserved. Have you ever had a moment like our moment with our friend Becky where God sort of puts his hand on your heart and twists? Has that ever happened to you? And you say, boy, that that felt like God speaking to me right there, right? Have you ever had a moment where you were sitting? Alicia gave us a chair the other day that didn't work for her house. And that is my place where I just go sit away from the noise in our home and we'll just sit and listen sometimes and hopefully hear from God and just let my mind slow down. Man, there's been moments in the last month where I've sat there and just felt like God was speaking very quietly, not audibly, just speaking to my heart. That's a grace. That's something that I don't deserve. God listens to us. God speaks to us. The other thing that this has to do with the gospel is we are free to listen to others because we are perfectly loved. See, we don't have to be smart and confident and interested in the gospel because here's the truth. In the gospel, because you're a Christian, the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. God has given you his mind. You have something better than smarts. You have wisdom. See, smarts come from reading a lot. Smarts comes when you read a lot. Wisdom comes when God says, Mark, I'm going to give you something that you could never earn. I'm going to give you my perspective. Wisdom is our gift in the gospel. Wisdom is the ability to see something from God's perspective. We don't have to be smart. We don't have to appear confident when it comes to listening to others. We don't have to appear confident in ourselves, but we can be confident in God. I don't have to, you don't have to think I have everything together. The best counseling advice I ever got was, at the end of the day, if God is happy with you and everybody else is mad at you, then you still win. We don't have to be confident in ourselves. We can be confident in God and and the fact that he is for us. And we don't have to appear interested, but we can truly be interested in one another. We can be interested in one another because people are made in God's image If God is interested in us, then we can be interested in one another. If God is interested in us, then we are free to be interested in one another. Let me flip my Bible to Isaiah 50 verse, I think it's 50 verse 4. Yep. I love this verse. I had never read it until this week, and it's so sweet, so powerful. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, God awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. God wakes up, metaphorically, and God wakes me up just to listen to him. Our ability to listen to others will then drive the ability to listen to God, and our ability to listen to God will drive the ability to listen to one another. God listens to us. Sometimes we don't have to speak. You only know what Christian maturity is and hearing God? It's when you can sit there before God and he doesn't have to say anything and you can say, that was really sweet. And then there'll be times where God will just get before you and, and he doesn't say, like he doesn't say anything and you don't say anything. That's maturity. That's maturity. Immaturity is always having to talk. Immaturity is always having to know, have God say something to you audibly. Maturing in faith is when you don't have to say anything before God. And he doesn't even have to say anything to you because you know his heart. That is us growing in faith, maturing in faith. So here's the the homework, if you will. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. One, I want to encourage you to memorize that phrase. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
It's amazing when God's word gets into us, how much easier it becomes to come out of us. The other night, Carson was talking, and this sermon has been in my mind for a month. And he's talking, and, and I'm not listening. And rather than just at first keying in on what he's saying, all I heard was, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anchor. And then him say, we'll come back to that. And that was the cue that I really needed to focus in, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And here's the other thing I want you to do individually. I want you to practice listening this week to somebody else. Practice listening as an act of worship and discipleship, really hearing someone this week. And then I want to encourage you, because it says we need to be slow to speak, and some of us probably... um, We take advantage of that and we don't say enough about us. I want to encourage you, if someone's pursuing you, especially someone in this room trying to get to know you, we've got to know one another. And if we just have walls up and we keep people at a distance, I'm not going to get to know you. You're not going to hear my story. You're not going to know what's going on. If someone's pursuing you, trying to hear hear you, I want to encourage you to share yourself without just going on and on. It's a give and take. It's a dance. Community and faith in Christ is a dance. Practice listening to someone this week. Ask them good questions and also share yourself and not just facts. Not just facts. We have a friend who always shares facts and I love him. He will share stuff. He, like, he is constantly dropping historical information on me. And the other night he was dropping some information on me and I looked at him and I put my hand on his shoulder and I goes, I don't care. I did. And he looked at me like, how dare you? And I said, I don't care about this history. I want to know you because I think your story is way more interesting than the history you share with me. And I felt like in that moment, he was, he felt permission to share himself. The historical stuff was just a defense mechanism. I want to encourage you to listen to someone else, to see and hear, to get to all the way through the train of thought in listening to another. And then corporately, if you're going to practice listening individually, what's this going to look like in our church if we're doing this well? What would it look like? I want to encourage you, look around and see someone. Actually, I want you to look around and see someone sitting here that you don't know. Now, my niece, Sarah, wave Sarah. She doesn't live here. She lives in Georgia. Don't look at her. You don't have to get to know her. She's getting on a plane tomorrow. Just pray for her. She's awesome, right? But look around in this room. Most of you are here three weeks out of four. Who in this room do you not know very well? Who do you not know at all? Like some of you have seen one another a dozen times and still may not fully know one another's names. I want to encourage you to get to know one another. And I want you to ask a series of about three questions. I think if we can answer these questions about one another, we're going to be a stronger church, right? Here they are. What's your story? Mark, what's your story? Like, that's a good question. Carla, what's your story? Asking one another, what's your story? Asking the second question, where are you on your faith journey? Where are you right now? You might say, man, I've never been more in love with God, known God more than I do right now. You might say, dude, I don't, I'm just glad I'm here today. I'm going to be honest. I'm really far away from God right now. But we need to be able to answer that. So what's your story? Where are you on your faith journey And then the third question, how'd you get here? You ever look at the people in this room and wonder, how did they find our church? Sometimes I do. Like, there are a few of you that I still don't fully know how you got here. 
But what's your story? Where are you on your journey? How did you get here? We need to know those questions. In the New Testament, there's all these one another phrases. Let me share this with you and we'll close. There's all these one another phrases. Pray for one another, love one another, serve one another, bless one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, show patience toward one another, show hospitality toward one another, encourage one another. All of these one another's, right? If a lot of that starts with knowing one another. See, if I don't know you, then I don't feel obligated to love you or pray for you or serve you or bless you or warn you or encourage you or forgive you. When a church one another's well, it's harder to leave. If we don't know one another, then we won't love one another. And then when someone wanders away, we just say, eh, too bad. See, this is not an institution that God is building here. This is a family. And one anothering well happens as we know one another. And if we know one another, we fight for one another, bless one another, love one another, forgive one another. But it all starts with knowing. And, and knowing comes by listening. So as a grace, I want to encourage you to practice listening with someone in your family or your circle of friends out of here. And then I want to encourage us together to get to know one another. To intentionally maybe say, hey, let's stack some chairs. I'm going to ask you those questions. That might be a little awkward. That's okay. Like, we've got to know one another. We've got to know one another to become who God is calling us to be. Let me pray.